This is the Trails Church Podcast. At the Trails Church, our mission is to glorify God by making disciples through the gospel in community and on mission. If you'd like more information about our church, visit our website, thetrails.org. Now, here's today's podcast. Good morning, Trails Church. How are we? Some of us are doing really well. Man, that's awesome. Hey, uh, my name is Bruce Kendrick. As Mike introduced me, we're going to be in Luke 17 this morning. So if you've got your Bible, turn there. But uh, I want to start just by introducing the family. I realize that when uh, you hear a guy's got like nine kids, it's like, well, that was a weird way to introduce him. And that might be the most important thing about that man. Um, And so uh, this is the family. Uh, Denise and I started fostering, uh, gosh, 20-ish years ago. And... uh, just have had really the, the blessing of um, just getting to see God go, hey, I'll, I'll do something with what little faith you have. And, um, and so just as he's continued to provide, the family's grown. I'll share a little bit more about that here in a bit. But uh, in the event that you're trying to do the math there, uh, Denise and I are both redheads. So if you miss like your high school genetics class, um, all the redheads are bio kids. Uh, everybody else is adopted, and uh, it's a, a veritable United Nations as uh, we get to walk around. We've got three grandkids, uh, which is also not something they put in the brochures when they talk about foster care and adoption of like, you might be a grandparent in your 30s. Um, you know, that's not a huge selling point for many people, but we were in. We were in. And so um, like any good parent, like your kids become teenagers and then learn how to drive. And so our most recent driver is Shepard, who's uh, now the tallest member of the family. That was a big deal. Uh, He's the one there on your far right. And, um, you know, there's that like trepidation of just like, is he going to make it out of the driveway? And, um, you know, we got him out of the driveway. We got him around in like the big parking lot where he's not too much at risk of doing anything more than like hurting some curbs. And um, we eventually get out into residential streets. We're like picking up the risk factor and uh, we're out one night. We've been driving for maybe a month or so. And I just went, you know what? This is a good a time as any for you to get onto the highway. Um, Didn't prepare him at all. And we're just driving down. I was like, this next on-ramp, you're going to take it. And he was like, on-ramp what? I'm sorry. Now? And uh, I'm like, yeah, it's going to be great. And, uh, you know, he's freaking out, uh, which is reasonable because uh, he's watching cars just fly by at 80 miles an hour. And as we passed that on-ramp, I was like, that one, the one that you were supposed to get on there. And uh, he was just like, oh, okay, okay that on-ramp. I was like, yeah, not a big deal. We're going to go up to the next light and we'll catch the next on-ramp. And uh, I just began to sort of see the like fear just continue as uh, the the steering wheel started to shake. And uh, we take off through the light. And I just said, look, you're going to look over your left shoulder. You're going to put on your blinker. You're going to speed up a little bit and you're going to move into that left lane. And then we're going to merge in. It's going to be fine. And uh, you're going to need to pick it up a little bit more, a little bit more gas, a little bit more gas. We get on the the highway going like 50. Um, So that may be in the event that you've experienced that recently. That may have been what was going on in the... uh, in the car in front of you. So just show some grace. But um, we, we get on. And, and then I'm like, okay, we're here, but um, let's move over a lane. And let's get up to 70, 75, because you need to learn how to drive this fast. And, uh, you know, when, when we started to get on, I, I just reached over and I grabbed the wheel because I could feel the lack of confidence there. And I just went, like, you just need some help from your dad. 
right? This wasn't like a Carrie Underwood moment of like, Jesus, do this, right? It was like, no, like you just need some help from your dad. You're still driving this thing. You're still accountable. You're still responsible. Let's do this. And as he shifted from the far right lane to the middle lane, like he did it himself and he was great and he was good to go. And I, I start with that because when we start talking about the Christian faith, I think many of us find ourselves like underdeployed. And like we know that God's gifted us in some way. We just maybe don't feel like we have permission or, you know, we see the people flying at 85 miles an hour and just go like, those people are real saints. Like they really believe this stuff, right? They see somebody with nine kids and they go, God, like this guy, ah, look, it's not a contest for how many kids you have. All right. And if it is, I've already won. So, um, so I want to, I want to, help you be free of some things real quick before we continue, because I don't have children waiting in the parking lot for you, right? It's like nobody's walking home with an extra kid today because you checked a box. And so be free of that. Additionally, I would just say that the litmus test for the Christian faith has little to do with foster care or adoption. And so while we're going to talk a lot about that this morning and make some application on that, what I really want to do is reorient us, remind us, strengthen us, embolden us, encourage us about who we are in Christ, that it is solely about surrendering to and worshiping the person of Jesus Christ as we walk with him. And it is in that surrender and worship that then we find ourselves in love with God and going, God, I'll I'll do whatever it is that then leads us to healing and bringing restoration into our communities that might include, likely may include foster care and adoption. Okay, because we need a reorientation about once a week, usually on a Sunday morning, right? Um, Without which we are prone to a faith that risks little, obeys little, and, and sadly can denigrate to no faith at all, where we just find ourselves like keeping up appearances, where our kids are looking at us and just like, why? Why do we do this on Sunday mornings? What is the significance? What is the weight that is substantive that bears on our lives or anyone else's life? Why are we doing this over and over and over again? Can't we just sleep in and watch football when it comes on at 11.30 or 12? And so um, I want to strengthen this this morning. Hopefully you've had time to find Luke 17 by now. Um, And so, if you would, stand with me, and um, let's read through Luke 17, 1 through 19, and, uh, and then we'll continue. Starting in verse 1, it says that Jesus said to his disciples, Things that cause people to stumble are bound to come, but woe to anyone through whom they come. It would be better for them to be thrown into the sea with a millstone tied around their neck than to cause one of these little ones to stumble. So watch yourselves. If your brother or sister sins against you, rebuke them. And if they repent, forgive them. Even if they sin against you seven times in a day and seven times come back to you saying, I repent, you must forgive them. And the apostles said to the Lord, increase our faith. And he replied, if you have faith as small as a mustard seed, you can say to this mulberry tree, be uprooted and planted in the sea and it will obey you. Suppose one of you has a servant plowing or looking after the sheep. Will he say to the servant when he comes in from the field, come along now and sit down to eat? Won't he rather say, prepare my supper, get yourself ready and wait on me while I eat and drink? After that, you may eat and drink. Will he thank the servant because he did what he was told to do? 
So you also, when you have done everything you were told to do, should say we are unworthy servants. We have only done our duty. Now, on his way to Jerusalem, Jesus traveled along the border between Samaria and Galilee. And as he was going into a village, ten men who had leprosy met him. They stood at a distance and called out in a loud voice, Jesus, Master, have pity on us. When he saw them, he said, go show yourselves to the priest. And as they went, they were cleansed. One of them, when he saw he was healed, came back, praising God in a loud voice. He threw himself at Jesus' feet and thanked him, and he was a Samaritan. Jesus asked, were not all ten cleansed? Where are the other nine? Has no one returned to give praise to God except this foreigner? And then he said to him, rise and go. Your faith has made you well. This is the word of the Lord. Have a seat. And so just to to give you some context of what's happening Um, Jesus has been walking with really this large crowd. He's been teaching this large crowd for the past three chapters. However long that is in time, I don't know. But um, he's got some celebrity. And so uh, people who are absolutely desperate for healing and encouragement and for some sense of there has to be something more than this. Like it can't just be this sort of vague, endless hope where we talk about spiritual things, we think about spiritual things, We hold on to these beliefs in our head, but we don't ever actually see anything change. That you've got these tax collectors and sinners that have been drawn to Christ, and yet at the same time you've got the Pharisees and the teachers of the law that are not drawn to Christ so much as they are just like, hey, you didn't go to school with us. And so we want to make sure that you're saying all the right things, you're doing all the right things, because you don't have our stamp of approval. And just... By way of transparency, I've only got like half a seminary degree, which is really no seminary degree at all. So in the same way, you should be Bereans as you listen to me this morning, looking at the scriptures and going, is that true? And not just take every single word that is shared from a pulpit and go, that's true. That we'd be sharpened and refined, that we'd be biblically literate people that understand what God's word has to say to us. Uh, That we wouldn't just play Bible Ouija and kind of flip that thing open and be like, what does God have for me today? Uh, but that we would study it and understand that it was constructed in a way that was meant for our benefit. Um, But here, Jesus has been talking to the crowd. He's been talking and rebuking the Pharisees and the teachers of the law, such that he even goes like, y'all have kind of like started to meld some of the world into your thing so that it, it could maybe be a little bit more comfortable. Like you've enjoyed your positions of authority. He rebukes adultery and divorce and, and, and he rebukes greed and pride and self-sufficiency and this, this idea of, of self-righteousness and independence in the Pharisees. And then he turns to his disciples and is basically like, I want to unpack some things because I want to make sure that you're understanding what I was just teaching and have some application for you. And so um, there, there are really four kind of acts of faith, if you will, that I want to point to in this passage in Luke 17, where Jesus talks about our faith as a faith that is restorative and a faith that is abiding and whatever little we have, that we would just take it and go, God, it's yours. Um, that there is a, a faith that is mastered, and it's going to get a little uncomfortable because we're going to talk about um, what it is not to just be free and able to do anything and everything that God has given us, but to be slaves of Christ. And then lastly, uh, that again, this, this isn't just some nice idea. These aren't spiritual pleasantries that just tickle our ears. 
that, that this is a faith that we live out, that we practice, that we trust God, that we may risk much. And so um, let me get us started here in verse 1. It just says, Jesus turns to his disciples and he says, things that cause people to stumble are bound to come. And so we, we talk about sin kind of generically, and yet I want to make sure that we understand that, that much of what we experience in sin is not just people waking up one morning and being like, you know what I'm going to do? I'm going to sin today. What we have is generational cycles of addiction, poverty, violence, um, depravity that has been modeled for us, that we have seen and that we have pursued and gone, oh, that's what it looks like. When our children look at us, they are oftentimes modeling our sinfulness. Or at times they're looking and going like, that is not how I want to live. Either there is nothing compelling or appealing about that faith, or there is nothing compelling and appealing about that wickedness. And I don't want any part of it. But Jesus does something here that that we don't really see anywhere else in Scripture. In verse 2, he goes, It would be better for those who are causing others to sin to have a millstone tied around their neck than to cause one of these little ones to stumble. Because he's, he's thinking about the Pharisees who are honestly kind of starting to meld some of the world into their practices while they hold on to this kind of righteousness. And... and he, he starts talking about having millstones tied around people's necks because they're causing the vulnerable to stumble, which is a little bit like not nice Jesus, right? It's one of those like, well, I, thought, I thought Jesus was just like smiling and happy and semi-floating in his Hirachi sandals, you know, kind of everywhere that he went. Like, I, I don't understand this. And some people would go, no, 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 this is just hyperbole. I don't think it is. Um, I, I think what we're seeing here is Jesus actually watching the Roman and Greek cultures, which honestly had no problems with child abuse and neglect. Those things were normative. Um, there's a book written by a guy named Owen Baki. Baki is spelled B-A-K-K-E, and that's just how I'm going to pronounce it. But he wrote a book um, that's called When Children Became People. Because you've got this Roman and Greek culture that's intertwining and trying overlaying on this Jewish culture, the Jewish culture which has long valued children. I mean, you look through the Old Testament, um, it, like you read passages like children are a heritage from the Lord, and yet you see even in Jesus' disciples, whenever children would come up to be like, don't bother him, don't be a nuisance. Like he's got important things to do because children at the time, unless you had property, you were nobody. Children were often less than property. And Jesus is seemingly righting a wrong. And, and while we may look at that today and be like, yes, of course, child abuse and neglect is a terrible thing. We've got our own cultural norms. Sins that are causing others to stumble that we have to deal with. When we just look at North Texas alone, our region of the state has two times as many victims of child abuse and neglect as any other part of our state. Like Houston has roughly the same population size, and yet we have almost twice as many victims of child abuse and neglect. And I don't need to go very far back into um, headlines to start talking about how normative it has been for us to just like, look, we don't want to be liable for anything. We just want to sweep this under the rug. We don't want to talk about it. It's gross. And yet it is entirely right, as Jesus then says at the beginning of verse 3, so watch yourselves. So watch yourselves. 
Because, um, friends, it's, it's not just that we've got sins of commission where we have sinned against one another, where it's just apparent that something's gone wrong, that we then begin to confess. Like nobody stood up during confession time. I'm assuming during your small group times that you don't just stand up, raise your hand and be like, this is how I'm sinning. And you just kind of list out your list that usually it's these vagaries of your sinfulness. It's like, well, we're really struggling about this. And if, if y'all can just be praying for that, I, I want to encourage you to get really specific about your sin. Because a biblical community that Christ moves us towards here is one that rebukes one another. You know how uncomfortable that is to be in a small group of people and be like, hey, I think you just generalized your sin. I think you just qualified your sin. No, I think what you're dealing with is greed. I think what you're dealing with is pride. I think what you're dealing with is self-sufficiency. I think what you might be dealing with here is you don't really love your wife as much as Christ loved the church. And so let, let's address that together. He says, so watch yourselves. Because it's, it's not just these sins of commission where it's like, well, look, I'm not abusing or neglecting children. I mean, we often say this like really dismissive statement of nobody's perfect. We can stop saying that. We know that. It's not the sins of commission we have to struggle with. It's the sins of omission that we struggle with. Where James, the brother of Jesus, says, anyone who knows the good he ought to do and doesn't do it for him, that is sin. And this is like a whole new level of like, wait, hold on a second. I, I did not know I was signing up for being accountable to doing justice and bringing restoration to my community. I just assumed as long as I wasn't keeping myself from being polluted by the world, that I was good. But Jesus says, no, rebuke one another. And so I, I want to encourage you this week, or whatever your rhythm is for small groups or Sunday school or whatever you call it, that, that you would rather, because it's super uncomfortable to get rebuked by somebody and have them draw it out of you. I get that that's super uncomfortable. That nobody's up for that level of authenticity usually. And if they are, they're like that guy. I'm usually that guy. But nonetheless, um, that you would invite one another in to say, you know, like I, I've frankly been just managing some sin in my life. And um, I've been just kind of dismissing it lightly because it was easy and I felt like I had control over it. And there's nothing quite like introducing someone who's in need, someone who causes you to sacrifice, someone who causes you to lay down your own comforts and serve them that starts to spill your managed sin out. And don't we want to be a church like that? I realize it brings conflict. Like when you raise your hand and go, I don't think I love my wife the way that I should. I don't think that I care for my kids the way that I should. I want to love my children like Christ loves them. I don't think I deal with my finances as good as I should. I don't have extra margin in my finances or in my time because I'm doing so much busy work. And we're doing all these, these things to build up our positions that if there were an opportunity to bring about restoration in our community, we wouldn't be able to do it. Man, talk about conflict. I just invited you to get into the ring with one another and go, here are three huge things that would help us be a better church in this community, that would help us shine light into the darkness and be salt and preserving truth in this community. 
I offer it up to you. That we would no longer just kind of do what I call the head nod of avoidance and passivity, where it's like, man, we're going to pray for that. We're, I know you mentioned that last week too. We're going we're to keep praying for that. Eventually, at some point, we go, watch yourselves, rebuke one another, and not out of our own arrogance or self-righteousness, we go, of course, I forgive you. I know you missed that first on-ramp. We're going to come up to the light. We're going to pause. We're going to reflect. We're going to grow. We're going to heal. We're going to embolden and encourage one another, and we're going to catch the next one. And so Jesus continues, um, but the apostles hear this. So the apostles are a little different than the disciples. They're a group of about 70 men and women that Jesus has sent out to share the gospel, to proclaim the good news of God's kingdom. And they come back. This is several chapters before. They come back and they're like, Jesus, even the demons submitted to us. It was nuts. But he tells them, tell you what, rebuke one another. And if they repent, be ready to forgive them. Even if they sin against you seven times in a day, seven times, forgive them. They hear that and they go, crazy. Increase our faith. We don't have faith enough for that. And Jesus' response is an incredible blessing. Don't miss it. If you have faith as small as a mustard seed, you can say to this mulberry tree, or your, your Bible may say sycamore, be uprooted and planted in the sea and it will obey you. So here's what's super significant about that in the event that you're like, give us some context. Um, is we often think we've got to really grow in maturity. We've got to really memorize some scripture. We've got to be walking with the Lord for years and years and years in order to have enough confidence to step out in faith. But that is not what Jesus says. Many of us have really complicated the Bible. We've complicated scriptures. We've complicated salvation into all these hoops that we've got to jump through and if you're a child or a student sitting in this room, or you're somebody who's just exploring the Christian faith, and you're going like, look, I, I'm, I didn't even grow up in a Christian home, and so I don't, I don't know about all this. Jesus has made the invitation really simple, really accessible. That you would understand that you are made in the image of God, and so you are valuable to him. Regardless of how broken or far from God you may feel, how completely depraved or lost you may be, or on the other side of that where you may be like, no, I've got it all together, but like, I feel like I don't have any needs whatsoever that God could possibly meet. And I don't know why, it's driving me nuts. That if your faith is as small as a mustard seed, that you just be able to turn, recognize that you were a sinner and go, even while we were still sinners, Christ died for us. You confess with your mouth that Jesus is Lord. Believe in your heart he was raised from the dead. With your heart you believe and are justified, and with your mouth you profess your faith and are saved. And yet so many of us, we're waiting for somebody to give us permission to step in and do something, to be restorative in our faith. And, and yet Jesus is like, you just have to abide with what you have. And God looks at you and he goes, what you have now is all that you need. 
if you would just use what you have. There's a great quote from a commentary that I used in preparation for this this past week. It just says, It is not a matter of how much faith, but of the powers of the working of the kingdom of God, that this faith, however meager and however unformed it might be, unleashes us. The need is not for more faith, but for the active exercise of faith. Our faith will prove adequate to the demands confronting us because of the adequacy of God's power to affect his own kingdom and rule. That is great news. Like it is not dependent upon how strong my faith can be and how built up it can be, how confident I can communicate to you. It it is about the adequacy, the sufficiency of Christ. Like that's sweet news, friends. Because here's the thing is like you just saw a picture of me and my family. We've got nine kids. We've got three grandkids. That didn't all happen at once, right? In case that you're just maybe biologically aloof, my wife did not give birth to a teenager, right? Like that's not how it works. I think we're all on the same page there. But sometimes we look at those people that we just go, you're a saint. And we see them flying at 85 miles down the road and you're like, I bet you go 85 all the time. No. You don't, because Jesus said rest. And so sometimes we pull off, and we get rest. And we, we trust in the strength and the adequacy of God. And then we go, you know what? It's time to get back on and keep moving. See, when, when my wife and I started fostering 20-ish years ago, we moved into a three-bedroom house, two-bathroom. We had our first biological daughter. And she came to me and just said, what do you think about becoming foster parents? And I thought for sure the clouds were going to part and angels were going to descend and the trumpets were going to sound. And I was going to hear the audible voice of Jesus say, thou shalt now foster children. But that didn't happen. (laughs) We just went, oh, yeah, we've got a room and that's in the Bible somewhere. And we can do that. And so just one child at a time, we started to welcome kids into our house. We didn't start with teenagers. We started by just taking like kids zero to two, zero to three years old. And then as God provided more space, we went, yeah, we could do, we could do that too. And as he continued to provide, we just went, We can do that too. Frankly, it was not a passion of mine until we're about five years in. And so if you're looking around going like, well, I need God to call me to this or that or another. Look, it's it's not a matter of calling. That's not in the Bible. In the same way that evangelism is not a matter of calling. There may be a gifting to evangelize, however, as the body of Christ, it is ours to share the good news of Jesus Christ with the world. And not wait on a calling to go and care for the vulnerable in our communities because we have a restorative faith. But if we fail to abide with him, we find ourselves just like continually on the frontage road, just kind of looking over and we're like, man, I wish I could drive that fast. And I know that that's there. Like, so this isn't meant to beat you up and be like, you know what, you have to do more. Because again, foster care adoption, it's not a contest. That's not the litmus test for your faith. There might be a hundred other things that you're involved in. I've got great friends that do great work in immigration. 
in caring for refugees. And I go, you know what? I don't want to take you off mission. That's your thing. It's also this weird kind of tangential connection to foster care because foster care is this crazy intersection of really all of the ills that exist in our communities. When you deal with housing, when you deal with transportation, when you deal with healthcare, when you deal with mental health, hospitals, the justice system, the courts, legislation. And so like I've got friends that work in the pro-life movement and I go, you know what? Stay focused there. We need you there. So this isn't, if you're already on mission and you're hearing me, I just pray that you're emboldened. And if you're over-deployed, like you're going like, Bruce, I'm doing like 500 things right now. I'm really busy. You may have said yes to too many bad things. Too many things that just are keeping you busy and, and that productivity has somehow replaced the adequacy and sufficiency of Christ. Your, your simple yes this morning, your simple response might just be like, you know what, I'm committing to make sure that our church never has to beg for people to work in our children's ministry. Because I never want to be one who allows a child to stumble. It could be that simple. And so with whatever you have, God's going, just be faithful with it. And yet Jesus continues on because the apostles are now like, wait, we said increase our faith and you said just as small as a mustard seed. So what do we do with that? He says, suppose one of you as a servant plowing or looking after the sheep, will he say to the servant when he comes in from the field, come along now and sit down to eat? Won't he rather say, prepare my supper, get yourself ready and wait on me while I eat and drink. And after that, you may eat and drink. Will he thank the servant because he did what he was told to do? So you also, when you have done everything you were told to do, should say we are unworthy servants. We have only done our duty. So here's the uncomfortable part is uh, we've kind of massaged some of the language because we don't like the idea of slavery. Um, And yet it's all throughout the scriptures, certainly not in the same way that it was here in the United States. But um, we were not freed from slavery in sin to just go about and wander the world and figure it out on our own. We were freed from slavery and sin to then be slaves to Christ. And that is, again, great news. And so everything that we own, our bodies are not our own, our marriages are not our own, our work and our position are our own. They're God's. For us to suit, our children are not our own. We are to disciple them. We are to be stewards of them. Again, this isn't like a Jesus take the wheel. You just, I'm out of the driver's seat. I'm just going to sit back here and just kind of coast. Like we are still responsible for driving our lives. And yet God reaches over and just was like, let me help you. Because you're certainly insufficient on your own. And I I could turn to any number of passages to go, okay, well, like, what are the responsibilities of the Christian servant, the Christian slave, if you will? Um, I really wanted to take you through Isaiah 58. Uh, We don't have time for me to take you through Isaiah 58. So uh, just write down Isaiah 58, maybe read that over lunch together with your family or on your own and be encouraged by that and be like, is this what we're committed to? Yes. But in, a, in an oversimplified way, if I can, just take us to James 1.27, which says that religion that God our Father finds as pure and faultless is this, to look after orphans and widows in their distress and to keep oneself from being polluted by the world. There's no promise of ease. There's no return on investment. It doesn't say that if you do these things, then the whole world will be converted. 
And the great news about that, friends, is that the results are not in your hands. Faithfulness is. That our responsibility certainly is to seek wise counsel, to count the costs. It's not just blind, and yet it is mastered. But I would say as we seek wise counsel and we count the costs, I've met far too many of us have been like, you know what, we're really praying about that. When I ask people about, like, hey, have you, have you considered foster care adoption? Or they hear our story, they're like, oh, we considered foster care and adoption. We just, you know, we didn't feel like we could let them go. And uh, that would be really hard. It's like, yeah, I could see how that would be, you as an adult versus a child who's been through traumatic experiences. That could be hard for you. Um, but the number of people that I've talked to, and, and I get it, like sometimes, have you ever said something to somebody that you knew had some expertise in an area and you're like, I just said something stupid I wish I could take back? They like looked at you and you're like, can I take that back? Um, I've had people say this, that, those sorts of things that we're like, well, we've been praying about foster care. You should stop praying about it. Um, prayer was never meant to paralyze you in inaction. And so uh, either you do or you don't. Uh, in the same way that we don't like try out Christianity, we don't like dip our toe in the Jesus water or whatever. Um, we're either in and living and thriving in the river of Christ, of the Holy Spirit that abides with us, or we're not. Amen. And so seek wise counsel, count the cost, stop praying about it. Uh, that's not to say don't pray, it's just let's, let's stop using sort of Christian niceties and spiritual pleasantries to excuse our inaction, to excuse our lack of faithfulness, knowing that those needs exist. And Luke, having put this together, I think is trying to tell us something in the next story because Jesus doesn't just sit around teaching his disciples and goes, those are nice ideas that you all should think about now. His disciples are constantly walking with him and seeing him bring healing, bring restoration. And they're like, Jesus, like, we're, dude, we're with you here, but I don't know. <laughs> You're going to have to help explain some more things for us. And Jesus like, it's okay, let's keep walking. And so now on their way to Jerusalem, they're walking along the border between Samaria and Galilee. Um, and 10 lepers, these outcasts of outcasts, call out, Jesus, Master, have pity on us. And Jesus simply turns and says, go show yourselves to the priests. And the Bible says, and as they went, they were cleansed. This means he didn't say, go show yourselves to the priests. They saw that they were cleansed and then decided to go. He says, go, and they go, okay. And they go, and as they go, they are healed. And they turn around. Well, the one turns around and comes back and praises God. And isn't it a reflection of the church sometimes where like we get so busy doing our thing and so comfortable in whatever our routines are that we forget to turn around and praise God. Like this is the cycle of faith that we experience, that we practice. That we live, that we trust, that we obey, that we experience healing. And that we praise God. 
It's a reason why we have this rhythm of Sunday mornings where we come together and we worship and we stand and we confess. It's, it's why we gather in small groups and rebuke one another and repent to one another and encourage one another and forgive one another. It's why we embolden one another and goes, you, you don't need more, you just need what you have. If you would just be faithful with what you have, let's bring about restoration in our community and abide with Christ, recognizing that we submit everything to Him, that He is our Master. And we think about the needs that exist in our community. Certainly, it's not just foster care and adoption, but if I could orient your mind around it, man, I'd tell you statistically, there are 945 children waiting to be adopted right now. Right now. Kids that are going, is there anywhere that I belong? Our area needs 360 more foster homes to ensure that every child that's in foster care has a home. And so just as a point of response, this isn't meant to burden you. Um, this is meant to just go, hey, do you have an empty room? Could that be your faithful response? Has your guest room lacked guests? And would you will be, be willing uh, to, again, faithfully respond, not, a, not out of a sense of guilt, not out of me compelling you because I shared some stories on a Sunday morning, but out of you just going, God, this is what we have to give. That you would be reminded that you are saints of the Most High God. And in His adequacy, He is able to do it. He is able to move you. And that you have the privilege of then turning around and going, God, we praise you. You are holy and righteous. A father to the fatherless, a defender of widows. You set the lonely in families, as Psalm 68, 5-6 says. But the rebellious live in a sun-scorched earth. Let me close this in prayer. God, thank you for um, just the privilege of discharging the trust that you've given me this morning uh, just to walk through what your word has to say. I pray that um, you would uh, take it and refine it in the hearts and ears and minds of those that have heard it this morning. Um, God, you, you're so kind and patient and good with us that even when we are stubborn, um, you are not condemning. You are uh, long-suffering and merciful, that uh, you have no desire to burden us, but you point us towards a restoration that we've received ourselves to then turn around and offer it to others. And uh, you allow us to abide in you and with you, which is just a really a, a completely foreign concept to the world that the, the creator of the universe um, would invite us in, would walk with us, would live in us, would have anything to do with us. And then you give us direction and you, uh, you help us obey. Would you, would you help us obey you? That um, we wouldn't qualify, uh, that we wouldn't hesitate, that in faith we would be willing to risk Whatever we have in this world, uh, trusting that what you have is always better. God, help us practice our faith. Uh, you are good and kind. And Jesus, we love you. We pray these things in the holy, powerful, and able name of our Lord Jesus Christ. Amen. 
Thanks for listening to this podcast from The Trails Church. We hope you have been encouraged, equipped, and edified by time spent together in God's Word. And again, if you'd like to find out more about The Trails Church, visit our website, thetrails.org.